When I was just a young boy, I had a friend that I played with a lot. And um, this young man and I were, were uh, best of pals. Uh, as we grew older, we began to mature more. He was a Christian young man, uh, not, of, not of the same faith as I, but a wonderful Christian. And uh, we spent a lot of time together. And one of the things that I remember him saying to me one day, as we were playing together and I said something funny... He said something along these lines, Chester, you said that just because you wanted to make me laugh, and I think that's because you're prideful. (laughs) Now, as he saw my downcast face, he said to me, you know, the truth hurts, doesn't it? (laughs) I'll never forget that interchange. When I think of the truth, I think of of that friend. It's true that the truth hurts, and yet sometimes we don't really like to tell ourselves the truth, right? There are times when we would rather live in a world that is full of our own fabrications about ourselves, about the world around us, about other people. And the Bible here says, in in our scripture for today, the Bible says that you will know the truth, and the truth will make you what? make you free. Now, it gets even better than that because we've been talking in our, in our series looking at, at Jesus and what He means to us. We've been talking about many aspects of Jesus, but in fact, one of the very characteristics of Jesus, one of the titles of Jesus, is He says in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the what? The truth and the life. You see, Jesus is that truth that He promises will set us free. And Jesus loves us enough to tell us the truth, to be the truth for us, even if sometimes it hurts, right? Jesus loves us, and He is the way, the truth, and the life. Father in heaven, as we open Your Word today, as we consider what it is to have the truth, to know the truth, as we want to know You better who is the truth, we just pray that you'll enlighten our minds and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there are many falsehoods that people tell themselves. Lately, I've been reading a book. In fact, I've been, I've been thinking a lot about this topic as I prepared for this message. I've been reading, reading a book called Telling Yourself the Truth. And it's from a Christian perspective, but it's looking at some of the many problems that we face as individuals, personal problems, problems such as depression or, or, uh, or having, a, having a, a, a not a positive outlook on life, interpersonal problems, difficulties we have with other people, respecting other people, loving one another, as Jesus said we ought to love one another. The book Telling Yourself the Truth has been opening my eyes to some of the ways that we sometimes don't think in the ways of truth. We instead have misbeliefs that we hold in our minds. And I want to be very sensitive here, but there's one way that we all realize that some people have a charred time with the truth. Have you ever seen someone, and I suppose husbands you should probably be silent about now, but someone who is perfectly healthy and looks good who thinks they're overweight and too fat? And um, you'll see that some people suffer from a misbelief that they are overweight when in fact they're unhealthily too thin. I remember one time I was ignorant about these things. There was this young lady when I was in college who was a, uh, I I would almost say she was perhaps the prettiest girl in the school. She was really pretty. And one day uh, over lunch, she was talking, uh, we were talking, and um, she said to me, um, you know, um, I have a problem. I suffer from bulimia. Now, I've, there were two problems that I had at the moment. Number one, I was probably nervous. Number two, I didn't know what bulimia was. I didn't ask. And looking back, 
when I learned what she was talking about, looking back, I realized that she was coming looking for help to this theology major who she trusted and confided in, and this was something difficult for her to do. There's some people who struggle with these types of misbeliefs, and I want to be very sensitive very careful here. But you and I, looking from the outside in, can very easily see that what they're telling themselves isn't true, but they've repeated it to themselves enough times that they believe it to be true. And is it possible that you and I might have misbeliefs that we've repeated to ourselves so many times that we've come to believe it's true, when really it's not true? When really there's something very different going on, something very very different. There are many common misbeliefs. Can I share just a few of them with you as we, as we think about the, the common misbeliefs we might tell ourselves? Uh, one was, I am the way I am because I was born that way. Have you ever heard someone say that? Maybe you've become discouraged thinking that. I am the way I am because I was born that way. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm just this way. Perhaps another misbelief that some people struggle with. If I had a better education, I'd be better liked. Perhaps others might be thinking, if, if, if I were like so-and-so, I'd be happier. Uh, some people might tell themselves, it's not what you know, it's who you know, and that's why I don't find success in life. The world is just against me. Um, some people might say, children make me edgy and tense. Um, and these are taken from the book that I've been reading, I told you about, from um, Telling Yourself the Truth, um, page 118. Others might say, well, you know what? My in-laws make me edgy and tense. Others might go a little further and say, you make me mad. Now, what are the problems with these? They're, the problems are that we tell ourselves these things to the point where we become victims and allow other people to control us. The reality is we have choices. We're adults. We make decisions, and we tell ourselves these things over and over until we believe them. If only I were younger, I'd have more energy, and then I'd be happier. If only I lived in a better neighborhood, then I'd be happy. And you can pretty much fill in the blank about things and material possessions, right? We tell ourselves these things. And sometimes we come to believe these things about ourselves. Sometimes we repeat things about others, <laughs> to the point that we believe them. This person is that way, and this person is another way, and we, we, we feel that they are the problem in our life. They are the ones that make us feel this way. The reality, friends, is that every single one of us has a God-shaped vacuum, and I've, I've, I've come back to this often. We have a God-shaped vacuum in our lives that we need God. Let me say it this way. We need the truth to fill. And when the truth fills that, we cease to be the pawn of circumstances or surroundings or other people. We cease to have misbeliefs that direct our emotions and our feelings in ways they shouldn't be directed, and we, we actually can have the peace that passes all understanding that keeps our, our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You see, we have that God-shaped vacuum, and when we tell ourselves these misbeliefs, when, when we choose to, to dwell upon negative thoughts about ourselves, about others, about God, about the world around us, we sometimes make those things reality. Oh, I believe that God wants, some, uh, God wants every single one of us to be happy. Do you believe that? I believe God wants every single one of us to be happy and healthy, mo emotionally and spiritually and physically. In every way, God wants us to be happy. And especially we ought to look out for four words. Those four words are the big four that we ought to, uh, ought to realize are often attached to misbeliefs. You know what those four words are? Nobody, everybody, never, and always. Whenever you hear nobody, everybody, never, and always in those, that mental tape that's playing in your mind, you might want to just realize that it could be a misbelief and not the truth. Jesus wants us to have the truth. You know, there's some pretty funny um, no, no, nobodies and nevers and so forth. Um, Bill Gates said in 1989, we'll never make a 32-bit operating system. Um, Lord 
Hildane, the late British minister of war, said in 1907, the aeroplane will never fly. In, uh, in uh, the 1930s, Admiral Will, William Lee, Lehigh said this to President Truman about the atomic bomb. That is the biggest fool thing we have ever done. The bomb will never go off. And I speak as an expert in explosives. Never nobody, everybody, uh, and always the big four that we ought to look out for. Nobody likes me. I'm a failure. Is that the truth? Well, listen, I want you to understand today that in Jesus' eyes, nobody is a failure. We may have setbacks and disappointments, and we may make mistakes, but we are deeply loved by our Savior in heaven. And that alone precludes us being a failure. We are important to Him. And listen, if we're important to the King of kings and Lord of lords, we're important. End of story. Another person might say, I'm lonely and miserable. Now, I, I understand that. But the truth that we can tell ourselves is, I may be alone, but I don't have to be miserable. I don't have to be lonely. Alone does not mean that I have no choice in my life. I'll never be happy again. There are things in my life that are not going right, perhaps. I may be hurting very deeply, but I can learn to function and be happy again even through hurt because Jesus wants us to be happy. Jesus wants us to be healthy. We're going to be looking today at the truth. Too often, too often these misbeliefs have, have told, uh, we've told ourselves, now I've, I've sort of dwelt on some of the negative misbeliefs. You realize, as the illustration demonstrates, that we might be telling ourselves positive misbeliefs. We may think of ourselves as more than we really are. We may think that we are really more important. Our opinion is more important. Whatever it is, we are, we are we're smarter or younger or better looking or whatever it is than we really are. Misbeliefs have a, have, have, a, have a way of working into our very thinking and allowing us to become unhappy with reality. Jesus says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so today we're going to look at the Gospel of John. If you have your Bibles, I want to just take you through a, a quick journey through the Gospel of John. I, as I studied this together uh, with the, the book I was reading, Telling Yourself the Truth, I, I, um, I turned to the Gospel of John because in John is where we find these passages about the truth, you know? Um, John chapter 10, John chapter 14, John chapter 8. This idea of Jesus being the truth is continually reminded to us. And I thought, I wonder, I just wonder if in the Gospel of John, there's something that we can see, a pattern we can see about Jesus being the truth in people's lives. And so we're going to start in John chapter 3. We probably could have started in John chapter 1, but John chapter 3 is where I started, and I began looking at the story of Nicodemus. John chapter 3, and we're going to look at the story of Nicodemus. You see, there's a problem that Nicodemus had. Nicodemus had fed himself misbeliefs. Misbeliefs. And it was Jesus' responsibility as the way, the truth, and the life to tell him the truth. And so it starts off very early in their conversation. This is how it happened. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Now make no mistake, Nicodemus here is being polite and considerate and even respectful. He may be even buttering Jesus up a little bit. He's coming to Jesus as a distinguished member of the Pharisees. Now, what do we know about the Pharisees? The Pharisees were those people who were extremely rigid in their obedience. The Pharisees were very particular about every little thing that they did in order to make sure they did it right, because somehow they had come to the conclusion that doing things right is what would yield them salvation. 
And so they were keeping the Sabbath, not just according to the commandment, but uh, many of their own commandments to try to make it even better than God had made it for them, to keep it even better, to make it holier. And all of the little things that they had to do, some of them were absolutely ridiculous. You are familiar, of course, with a Sabbath day's journey, right? A Sabbath day's journey was not very far. I don't remember exactly, something like 100 yards. I mean, it was not very far at all that you could travel on the Sabbath. Well, but there was a, there was a, there was a caveat there in the, in the, 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 you know, the Pharisees and their, their writings and the, what they had said about the Sabbath. They said, you know, if, if, you, if you go so far on the Sabbath and then you eat a meal then you can go another Sabbath day's journey on the Sabbath. And so they would carry a little sandwich in their pocket. Was that what Jesus had in mind? Is that Sabbath observance? Of course not. Jesus, Jesus is now meeting with a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, an important man who is a Pharisee. And so we have to get this idea of who he is. He's coming to Jesus. He's, he's, he's being respectful. He's coming as a proud religious man. And Jesus, it's almost like he brushes aside his respectful accolades. By the way, he said, we know that you're a teacher sent from God. Not the Messiah, a teacher. Jesus brushes this aside and he says this in verse 3. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now you have to understand, Nicodemus has spent his whole life being good enough for heaven. And he's pretty good at it. Everybody knows he's a godly man because not only was Nicodemus a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, he was really rich. And in the Jews' minds, if you were rich, you were blessed by God, and you were already living in heaven for practical purposes. I mean, you were a shoo-in for the kingdom of God. God must have blessed you because you are just a holy person. And Nicodemus, Nicodemus's misbelief that his goodness and the good deeds that he did and all of his positions and all what people thought of him And the truth that Jesus just uttered in a few short words all of a sudden collided in Nicodemus' mind. You see, the Holy Spirit can do that. Human words cannot do that. But Jesus reads hearts and minds, and Jesus, as God, said these words that were just what Nicodemus needed to hear. And all of a sudden flashed in his mind a startling realization that perhaps it was Jesus saying, could it be true, that heaven was too pure of a place for him, Nicodemus? Oh, my friends, I don't know about you, but I want to know the truth while there's still time to do something about it. God loved Nicodemus. Jesus loved Nicodemus. And what Jesus wanted Nicodemus to see was the truth. The truth was that all of the good things we do combined. In fact, even if we could do everything we wanted to do, all of our good intentions combined could not make us worthy of the kingdom of heaven. There's only one thing, and that's a miracle. We call it being born again, Jesus said. And so he, he talks to Nicodemus about this truth. All of a sudden, this truth has just has collided in Nicodemus's mind. And Jesus, because he loved Nicodemus, told him the truth so that he could change the misbeliefs and misdirections in his mind. Oh, I need the truth in my life. As a religious person, as someone who believes in doing the right thing. I need the truth that my obedience can never save me. Only Jesus can save me. No matter how people may look at me, a religious leader, spiritual, whatever, the fill in the blank, I need to be born again on a daily basis. Religion 
as we humanly define it, conforms to our ideas instead of our ideas conforming to it. We need real religion. Only the truth can give us real religion. I don't know what that truth is to, to you today, what it is that Jesus would say if He was here to you, but I think He would tell you the truth. I think He would tell me the truth. And that truth is what I want. It's what I want to hear. If we skip down the next chapter, we, move, we have to move pretty quickly here. The Samaritan woman meets her Messiah in chapter 4. You know the story. Jesus and His disciples are traveling. They come by Jacob's well, which is, which is there in, in Samaria. And um, he, he, as He comes to that village, near that village of Sychar, um, He stops at the well. His disciples go into town to buy food. And here Jesus is sitting alone at the well in the heat of the day. And here comes the woman of Samaria, that, that outcast of society, that, that woman who has tried in many different ways to find that missing link, to find that missing piece that would fill her void and make her happy. She's not been able to find happiness. In fact, when she's, when she's, when she's been alone, she's felt, if I could only be with somebody, if I could only have this relationship, if I could, then I would be happy. But guess what? When she's with that man, she's not happy either. And, and the Bible says that as the conversation goes on, Jesus actually tells her, you've had five husbands, and the person that you're now with is not your husband. Now, this is the reality in this woman's life, I think. Maybe you you can tell me if I'm reading too much between the lines. I think that each time before she got remarried, she felt like this man was going to make her happy. There's something that you and I, if you're married, you've learned, and that marriage is a wonderful blessing, a gift of God, but it doesn't make you happy. If you're not happy going into marriage, you're going to be unhappy in the marriage. That's the reality. That's the truth. But the misbelief was that this person that I'm living with is what's making me unhappy. That's the misbelief, right? And she had told herself this so much that every time she had to find somebody else, and, and uh, finally, finally she finds this man at the well at in the heat of the day, and Jesus says to her, you've, you've had five husbands. But I want you to notice what He says to her in verse 13. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Oh, you see, Jesus touched the very nerve that this woman needed to have touched. Jesus touched the very misbelief that this woman had been repeating to herself over and over again, that it was the relationships that were keeping her unhappy and the relationships that she needed that would make her happy. And finally, Jesus said, no, not that at all. There's something missing in your life that only I can fill. Only Jesus, the truth, can fill that missing void. And and when you have Jesus, in your life, it's as if you have a, an artesian well that never runs dry, springing up and bubbling over into everlasting life. Oh, do you want that kind of joy? Do you want, do you want that kind of fulfillment? There's only one way, and that's the truth. That's Jesus being in your heart and life. I need that. I need that. Jesus is telling the woman the truth, and the truth would set her free. Oh, can you imagine? <laughs> I love the way this, this woman runs into town. And um, the, you, you know the story, how it, how it says that uh, she, she runs into town in verse 28. She left, leaves her water pot, and she, she goes her way into the city and says to the men, verse 29, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Everything that I ever did. Well, she still has some misbeliefs, probably, those always and every and all the, you know, those words. But um, nevertheless, the point is, why would someone be excited about having their whole life revealed? Because she had experienced the truth. And there was something wonderfully freeing about not having to hide anything anymore. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We must move quickly. We skip down to John chapter 5. 
John chapter 5, and there we find the story of the man healed at the pool of Bethesda. There was a, a, at this time, there was a a feast of the Jews. This is is the Passover. Jesus has gone to Jerusalem, and um, there's the sheep gate. By by the sheep gate, a pool which is called Bethesda, and there are many people waiting there. Um, The the understanding was that at a certain time, an angel would stir the water, and whoever got into the water first, they would be healed. And so there's all these lame and and sick people there. Um, I'm sure the lame people had a disadvantage, don't you think? Um, because they couldn't move as quickly. They couldn't get to the water in time. And so Jesus sees this woman who had been there for, for a long time, 38 years he had been sick. He had been there a long time, and Jesus, in verse 6, it says, Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd already been in that condition a long time. He said to him, do you want to be made well? Now, don't you like the rhetorical questions that Jesus asks sometimes? I mean, this is a This is a self-evident answer, right? I mean, he's there by the pool of Bethesda. There's only one reason he'd be laying there, because he wants to be made well. Jesus is wanting him to process this, this question. Sometimes, oh, could it be? Sometimes we are in pursuit of healing for so long that we forget why we're on the journey we're on. Could it be that sometimes we almost get accustomed to the condition we're in and begin to think like it's normal? Jesus asks the question, do you want to be made well? Now notice the sick man's answer. Tell me if you think there are any misbeliefs in this answer. The sick man said to him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Do you catch any hint of misbelief in that response? Is it similar to what you and I might have and think is a misbelief? I want you to realize, and I'm not trying to criticize this man. I hope to meet him inside the pearly gates one day. So I'm not trying to, I don't want to, I don't want to try to judge his heart or his motives. But I rather think that this man's answer is very similar to some of ours sometimes. Why are we not made well even though we've been waiting for this for a very long time? Why are we still the way we've been even though we've been in the church for so many years and we still don't really know how to love and love each other and love Jesus as we ought? Why is it? Sometimes the response we give is that it's somebody else's fault. You notice what he says here? Somebody beats me to it. If it weren't for those people in my way... I'd be all right. Now, is the problem with the people in the way? I understand. I understand what's going on here. I understand. But the only way this man would be healed was through faith. Do you understand? And faith is something that is individually exercised. It doesn't depend on anything that anybody else does. So somehow, this man had to stop feeling like he could excuse himself for not exercising faith. It's not their fault. It's not, I've heard people say this, well, I'm not going to go to church because there's hypocrites there. Let me tell you something. In the judgment, no one's going to ask if there was hypocrites in your way between you and Jesus. Because you have a choice, I have a choice to exercise faith individually. And Jesus Christ will save you and he will save me no matter who else is around us. And Jesus was about to prove that he could heal this man if he would exercise faith no matter how many people were between him and the water. And so Jesus says, will you be made whole? He says, oh, but the people, they're in my way. They're, 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 they, they beat me to it. It's somebody else's fault. Jesus says, no, it's your choice. Rise, take up your bed and walk. And the truth, the truth confronted this man's misbelief. So all of a sudden he realized it's not about those other people. It's about me and my faith. And this man said, I am going to choose to believe in the power of God to heal me. 
No matter what other people do, he's, he got up and he walked. Isn't that an amazing story? Oh, you see, the truth, when it, when it confronts us, sometimes it's shocking because sometimes we've been thinking these, these things for a very long time. But Jesus tells us the truth that we need to hear. Are you thankful for Jesus? Are you thankful that He's the way, the truth, and the life? If we would only get out of the way, friends, God could work in our lives. If we could stop making excuses for Him or for ourselves based on other people, I think that God could do something in me. He could do something in you. Oh, I'm thankful that Jesus is the truth. John chapter 6, the story of feeding of the 5,000. You remember, Jesus is pushing His disciples They've seen so many miracles already, but their faith is still very small. And here he is, says in verse 4, The Passover of the Feast of the Jews was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where will we buy bread that these may eat? Now, the Bible's very clear that he said this to test Philip. He wanted Philip to think about the truth, right? He wanted, to, he wanted Philip to think. And so, so here's the situation. Everybody's coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. I mean, a million plus visitors would come to the city from all, the diaspora, the, the Hebrews that were scattered all throughout the, the countries. They would, they would make this pilgrimage. If they could come at all, they came on the Passover. They would make their way there to Jerusalem, and these extra throngs that heard, word had filtered back through the networks, back to the homes in, in, in Egypt and Alexandria and other places that the, the Jews were scattered. And they had heard about this Jesus, but now they wanted to see him for themselves. So they, they, they were coming to Jerusalem, they, they got distracted along the way, they go to hear Jesus, and there's these thousands and thousands of people. The Bible records it here as 5,000 men plus women and children, so there are many, many people, fifteen or 20,000 people that were thronging around Jesus, trying to catch a word that he had to say, trying to understand who he was, and, and Jesus says to Philip, okay, there's all these people, they must be hungry, where are we going to feed them? Now, this was before the idea of buffets. There was no Chef Lens or Western Sizzlin out there in the desert outside of Jerusalem. There weren't even like a Walmart supercenter where you could clean off the shelves. Philip's thinking, there's no way we could find food for this many people. I suppose... Glinda might have found a way, but <laughs> Philip, he was like, there's no way, right? There's no way that we can find enough food for, for this many people. So, the Bible says in, in verse 7, John chapter 6 and verse 7, 200, Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them have a little. And uh, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Five loaves and two fishes. Now you can imagine the astonishment on the disciples' face. When the next words came out of Jesus' mouth, oh, tell the people to sit down. Five loaves, two fishes, 15, 20,000 people. The misbelief that Philip and the other disciples were telling themselves was that they had to find the resources to do the work that Jesus was asking them to do. Make the people sit down. There was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves, and when He had given thanks, He distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they were wont. And when they were all filled, He said to His disciples, "'Gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost.'" And they gathered up and filled 12 baskets full of leftovers. What truth is Jesus trying to bring to the, to the disciples' minds? The truth, friends, is that little is much when God is in it. The truth is, friends, 
that you and I may go through difficult times. We may have financial struggles. We may not know how to make ends meet or even have ends to, to try starting to make them meet. We may not have resources. But God does not expect us to be dependent upon our resources. He is able to use what we have in His hands to supply all of our needs. What's important, friends, let me say it this way. What's important is not how much we have. What's important is that the little that we have is in God's hands. Oh, you know, we all want a celestial Santa Claus. We all want God to simply provide all of our needs. But I have to ask myself the question, have I dedicated all that I have to Him? Because when I have, I can know absolutely for certain that even five loaves and two fishes is enough to feed a multitude. I can know absolutely for certain that my God shall supply all my need according to His riches in Christ Jesus. Oh, I need the truth. God is not dependent upon what we can produce, but on what we have dedicated to Him. Little is much when God is in it. John chapter 7, we must move on. John chapter 7, you see what Jesus is doing here in John? He's bringing the truth into people's lives. He's addressing their misbeliefs so that they can understand the truth. It's a, there's a reason, I think, why John dwells upon this theme. The other gospel writers don't. Because he has these stories that one after another, Jesus has been teaching people deep truth. John chapter 7. We're going to skip down towards the end. The, uh, verse 32 it says, the, the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. This is what's happening. The, the Pharisees have decided that Jesus needs to be stopped. They can't let this go on any further, so they send the temple guards over to arrest Jesus. And then the story goes on. That's the end of it. They have this discussion now between the Jews and Jesus, and, and Jesus is promising living water and all the rest. And, and it says, uh, if we read down to verse, uh, verse 43, it says, So there was a division among the people because of him. Now some of them wanted to take him, that's uh, to arrest him, right? But no one laid hands on him. Well, why didn't anyone lay hands on Jesus? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus was the truth. That's why. And the, the problem that the Pharisees had is they were believing misbeliefs, misdirections. They had come to the point where they did not believe in Jesus. We'll see more about that in, in the next couple chapters. But they had come to the point where they thought they were doing the, the cause of religion, the truth, a favor by getting rid of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. That's how warped their understanding of truth was. And this is what this is an amazing story here we see in the last couple of verses. Then the officers, beginning with verse 45, the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. Woo Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. This is what I want us to see in John chapter, in John chapter 7 here that we're looking at. In John chapter 7, as Jesus comes to, these, uh, to the temple, he's teaching the temple, the Pharisees are trying to have the officers arrest him. The officers sent on their business return empty-handed. Why? Because they have experienced a greater authority than the rulers of their nation. Did you catch what I just said? Jesus, because He was the truth and He was speaking the truth, no man ever spoke like this man. It wasn't that he was just an eloquent, you know, uh, orator. That's not what they were talking about. Jesus was teaching the truth. He was bringing the truth 
right there into people's hearts to confront the misbeliefs that they had. Lives were being changed. Hearts were being converted. People were melting in front of their very eyes. The truth had a power to transform men and women. The truth had the ability to fill a missing void in people's hearts. And the truth carried an authority that even the rulers of the people did not have. Oh, friends, there's a greater power, a higher authority. I remember when I used to, uh, should I say this? Um, I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea. I, I believe we should obey the laws of our lands. But sometimes I would knock on a door when I was selling Christian books, and the sign would say, no soliciting. Now, occasionally, someone would actually think that we were soliciting. It's not really, because um, we, were, we were offering them something, and... But anyway, some people, most people don't remember that sign's out there. But I, I would knock on that door and some people would say, well, you shouldn't do that. And this, is, this is, was my response. I have a higher authority that told me to go ye into all the world, right? I remember one time I knocked on a door that said no soliciting. And it was a, it was a hair salon. And I may have told you this story before, forgive me if I have, but I knocked on the door, I, actually I just went in, there was like 10 chairs, you know, all these people, and it was sort of slow, so I talked to the manager, and I was showing him the books, and we were over at this table on the side of the hair salon, and all these hairdressers came around, I mean, there's like 8 or 10 of them, and I was showing them all the books, and they were handing them around, and I was having a great time, and, um, and this man came in the door while we're gathered around this table, and people were asking me, how much for this book, and how much for that book? This man came in the door selling flashlights. And the manager took one look at him. He said, get out. Didn't you see the sign? It says, no salesman. <laughs> and I'm thinking, boy, I'm thankful to be selling with the benef added benefit of the Holy Spirit with me and with the authority of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we're afraid of other people. Sometimes we're in situations where we don't know how things will end up. But there's one thing that we know, is God is the highest authority known in this universe. And the, if the truth is on our side, the truth will prevail. It may not be the way we expect it. It may not even be here and now, but in eternity for sure, the truth will always prevail. I want the truth on my side. Jesus showed these rulers who thought that they were powerful, who thought that they were so mighty, who thought that they could just speak and people would do their biddings, the truth came across their misbeliefs. And the reality was that Jesus, the truth, had greater authority than they. John chapter 8 was that beautiful story of the woman caught in adultery. And you know the story how the, Jesus stoops in the sand and she writes, uh, he writes the sins of those who have who have accused her, and, and when, when, she, when the woman finally straightens up and the men are gone, Jesus asks her the question, John chapter 8 and verse 10, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And G the woman said, No one, Lord. Jesus said to her, verse 11, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I want you to understand here that at this point in this woman's life, there was, there was no, there's no question in my mind she felt that she was worthless. And Jesus is going to bring the truth, the truth against her misbeliefs. The truth is that no one no matter what you've done, can actually condemn you. Do you understand that, my friends? I don't care where you've been or what you've done. Nobody else can raise a stone to, to, to stone you because they have also sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. 
So it doesn't matter where you've come from, where you've been, what you've done. There is a truth here that Jesus is trying to tell this woman. There's only one person who could actually condemn you, and that's God. And I'm here to tell you, God doesn't condemn you. He loves you. And not only does He love you, He's going to say to this woman, Go and sin no more. I believe that you can live a different life a holy life, a godly life, gain the victory over this type of lifestyle, you can be a better person. Let me tell you, the truth is wonderful. Because this woman needed to hear the truth. The truth is she was valuable. The truth is God loved her. And if God loves you, friends, that's all that matters. You cannot... Listen, human beings are fickle and and failing. We all fail each other. We do, right? We all have a tendency to try to condemn one another, even though we are, when we point a finger, there's four of them pointing back at us, right? But God says, listen, I do not condemn you. Not only that, if if you can imagine such a thing, it's going to get better. Go, I believe you can live a different person. This gave this woman not only a sense of value, the truth gave her a sense of hope. Life is worth living when there is hope. Life is worth living when there is freedom from guilt and condemnation. Life is worth living when somebody gives us license to forgive ourselves and believe that we can be a better person tomorrow than we are today. Oh, friends, I'm thankful for the truth that Jesus told this woman. It's truth that you and I need. Jesus, <coughs> Jesus tells this woman where real value is found. Real value is found in being loved by God. The last chapter we'll look at today is John chapter 9. We could keep going. But John chapter 9 is the, the man born blind. He receives his sight. And this, is what the, this is what the Pharisees were saying in John chapter 9 verse 16. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man, talking about Jesus, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Now, can you imagine that the religious leaders, the religious leaders had come so far in their misbeliefs that they condemned the one who was the way, the truth, and the life as a Sabbath breaker. We've got to be careful, friends. We really do. Misbelief is a dangerous thing. You tell yourself enough, something over and over and over. These people really believe Jesus was not spiritual because they did not, Jesus did not conform to their ideas of spirituality. Jesus can't be a religious leader. They didn't have any respect for him. And that was Jesus. Misbelief is a powerful thing, but let me tell you, friends, the truth is more powerful. Jesus knows what they're thinking. They're asking the blind man, verse 17, they ask him again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. He said he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe. Um, They didn't even believe that this was really the blind man. They call the parents. There's this whole interchange, right? Right? But if we skip down, we find out that the man, the man was a, uh, he was, he became, I think he became angry that they were being so stupid. I think that's, I think he really got frustrated, for, pardon my language. Um, but I think that they, he really got angry. He's like, listen, I don't know, wh- I don't know where you came from, but where I came from, people can't do this unless they're from God. You're altogether born in sin. They cast him out of the synagogue. Let me tell you, friends, it's okay if people reject you as long as the truth is with you. We don't want to be a pariah. We don't try to be a nuisance. We don't want to be obnoxious. 
But this man was just telling them the truth. They didn't want to hear. And notice with me in verse 35, Jesus heard they had cast him out, and when they found, he found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? The blind man, the once blind man, now seeing man, said, Who is he, that I, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, seen him and it is he who is talking with you. And then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things, and the Holy Spirit was applying them. They were being convicted, and this is what they said, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. The Pharisees thought that they were capable of determining who was spiritual and who was not. They judged Jesus as a, as a fake and a phony and a sinner because he broke the Sabbath in their rules. They judged the man who had been healed because he confessed Jesus. But the reality was they were the ones who were spiritually blind while the man was the one who was now healed both physically and also spiritually. The truth had set him free. Are you thankful today, friends, for the truth? Are you thankful for Jesus? You want to invite Jesus to tell you the truth? Let me tell you, it might be like my childhood friend. It sometimes hurts. But Jesus is faithful. And He is the one who has promised that you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Father in heaven, today, I thank you for the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, there may be misbeliefs. I know there's many still in my mind. I need a daily, moment by moment, every... Lord, I need the truth, Jesus, to show me the things in my life that I may not be realizing, that I'm like the Pharisees. Maybe I'm like Nicodemus. Maybe I'm like, maybe I'm like the blind man. Maybe I'm like the woman at the well. Lord, probably all of us can relate to somebody in this, this story from the Gospel of John. Help us, I pray, to have the truth come face to face with our misbeliefs that we might be set free, that it might fill our hearts and that He might flow out of us rivers of joy to a life more abundant. We thank You that it's possible through Jesus his name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.